Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connection, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Back to Basics, Reconnecting to the Essence of You. I'm excited to introduce you to Dr. Dawson Church. He's an award-winning health and science writer whose best-selling book, The Gene in Your Genes, has been hailed by reviewers as a breakthrough in our understanding of the link between emotions and genetics. He has conducted many clinical trials and founded the National Institute for Integrative Healthcare to promote groundbreaking new treatments. Its largest program, the Veterans Stress Project, has offered free treatment to over 20,000 veterans with PTSD over the past decade. He also shares how to apply these health and performance breakthroughs through EFT Universe, which is one of the largest alternative medicine sites on the web. I'm so excited to have you here, Dr. Church or Dawson. How can I call you, Dawson? <laughs> Dawson, yeah, and I'm excited to be here too, Leticia. Thanks for having me. Well, this is incredible because as I was doing research for this interview, I got inspired just by reading all the amazing things you've done. And I say, oh, yes, definitely. He's perfect for this podcast. And so I thank you for being here. And I always like to say, you know, someone that has such a career like you've had, that's written several books, that you, you're really contributing to make this world a better place. And I always like to ask, was this what you dreamed about when you were a child? I like to ask about how were how was you and your younger self, and what were you dreaming of at that time? <laughs> wow, what a provocative question, Atisha. And uh, when I was a kid, I remember being sort of five, six years old and being pretty disillusioned with the world. And I just saw all the hypocrisy and anger and mistreatment of people around me. And I just was, uh, even at five or six years old, I was I was very disillusioned, very unhappy. And then when I was a teenager, I was suicidal. I had, I had, I had flashbacks and nightmares and all kinds of PTSD symptoms. And so I had a pretty bleak life back then. And it wasn't until later in life that I began to, I, I went away to join a spiritual community when I was 15 years old. So at 15, I was meditating. I was learning hands-on energy healing. I was reading about the great tradition of the spiritual wisdom that was, has been passed along for thousands of years through the great, the great religions. I was reading about all those things, and I didn't get much happier. And then even when I learned psychology in my 20s and 30s, I got a little bit happier, but not very. But then I began to really get into energy therapies when I was about 45 years old. That's more than 20 years ago. And when I learned energy medicine, energy psychology, I was able to clear away all my trauma from the past fairly quickly. And then I began to research, write, and do all the things I do now. So uh, it's, it's really, a, a, I, I know these techniques make a, a powerful difference in your life. Uh, this is uh, extraordinary. And uh, I think there's definitely people that are intersecting all these things, you know, like the formal education with, with also exploring what's there, what can we tap into 
as as you mentioned, energy healing, and uh, and so it's exciting. So in 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 a way, would you say that all those experiences growing up and all these things took you to that that organically you went there, or was there someone uh, that mentored you when you were younger and that kind of you credit to having taken that route? Yeah, it it really gave me um, a strong urge to help other people because I didn't want people to wind up having a miserable child that I have. I didn't want people to wind up suffering and sick the way I was, depressed, anxious, with traumatic stress. And so I'm really motivated by by seeing that shift in, in people and shift in hospital systems as well, not just shifting individuals. That's great when we can shift two people or five people or a thousand people, but how do we shift a million people? How do we, like, for example, one of my uh, nonprofit projects, we help helped get these therapies to the victims of the Rwanda genocide. We helped, we helped get these therapies to some of the orphans, so thousands of, of orphans in Rwanda. Another one, we helped um, kids after the 2010 Haiti earthquake. So about 250,000 children were orphaned by the earthquake in, in Haiti in 2010. So we get, we, we focus on getting this into systems, hospital systems, large systems, where they can help lots and lots and lots of people. And you can use your own suffering. Research shows that roughly two thirds of people who experience a stressful event, a traumatic stress, actually grow as a result. And that's called post-traumatic growth. A third of people go the other direction and develop post-traumatic stress disorder. And so you want to be one of those people who's resilient. And in my book, This Brain, I talk a lot about resilience and how to be one of those people, one of the two-thirds that becomes resilient. And so your the, the, the worst stuff of your life, Letitia, can be turned into the fuel for your highest growth. Oh, that's fascinating because I think... I mean, we've heard this said, and I've heard this with many of my of my guests saying that that you know you have to go through the lows to go, grow. But you you are actually a researcher and scientist, and so you are saying that yes, that this is this. I never heard about this post traumatic growth, but I can totally see it because it's almost like you have two different types of people, and they take you know the same bad circumstance and they react to completely different. And so I'm curious, besides reading your books, which definitely show that there is a lot of good, you know, data in there. What would you say to someone that that feels that way? Like they are aware that maybe they're not reacting to a circumstance the way they should, but what they probably feel, well, this is the way I am. How am I going to change that? Yeah, and our brains evolved to pay attention to the negative stuff. When your ancestors 100,000 years ago, a million years ago, were given a choice between what to think about, it was much more likely to result in survival to think about the negative stuff and not think about the positive stuff. So if you had positive experiences, there was no evolutionary benefit to reflecting on them. And so our brain has this large amount of tissue right in the frontier of the midprefrontal cortex, the posterior cingulate cortex in the back. And those parts of the brain are the default mode network. Our brain literally defaults to thinking those kinds of thoughts, and they're mostly about me and my survival, and mostly about either the past or the future. The stuff that hurt me in the past 
the stuff that might hurt me in the future. And I was completely adaptive to your ancestor a million years ago to think about the tiger that almost ate me yesterday and the tiger that might eat me tomorrow. And so now we have no tigers and we think about, so what our minds are then obsessed with whatever's wrong. I mean, look, looking at my shirt now, I can get obsessed by the fact that my collar is, is bent. I can get obsessed by the side, you can't see the pile, thank goodness, of stuff <laughs> in my new box over here. But I can look at that and get all upset about that as though it's a tiger, you know? So here I'm driving my stress hormones like cortisol sky high. So we think that's the way the world is. It's just the way our brains are constructed to pay attention to the negative and to not ignore the positive. Because your ancestor a million years ago, if they didn't stop, like last night, I just stopped stunned and I stared at the sunset. It was so beautiful. But if your ancestor 100,000 years ago saw a beautiful sunset or lovely roses, there was no evolutionary value in pausing to notice the good. But if you fail to notice the bad, the tiger, you died. So we have our, our brains that are just shaped this way, and we have to learn the skills and tools it requires to shut down that default mode network. And research shows you can do it. With, with experience, you can literally shut it down, and then you light up what I call in my book, This Brain, I call it the enlightenment network to do with attention, to do with compassion, to do with love, joy, and gratitude. And you can train yourself to do that. And you can, our research shows you can train yourself to, do, to shift that pattern in under a month. Oh, wow. That's, that's great. I'm loving this because you are the answer to, you know, sometimes I am mistaken by an optimist. I think I'm a realist, but with a positive spin. And I, but I, I, I am very aware that the bad situations can happen and all that. But I always, when I give, you know, a speech or when I have guests, they say, well, it's, it all sounds pretty until something goes bad. And then, you know, but you, I mean, you've done so many clinical trials. You, you have, uh, you know, you are contributing online where people can go to, you know, to, to your resources and resources that, uh, you and other people like you have put out there. And so you give a path and you say, wow, in less than a month, I can, uh, you know, do some work in this. It, it, it seems so manageable. <laughs> in, in less than a month, you can literally change what's called the functional connectivity of your brain. In my book, Mind to Matter, I have a case study of a man who learned to meditate, went on an eight-week meditation course, Mindfulness Meditation. And researchers studied his brain before and after. They actually took the whole TV crew, went to, into a lab, a really advanced neuroimaging lab. And they took, uh, they took scans of all the different parts of his brain. They measured the volume of all the different components of his brain. They gave him a whole lot of tests. He then began to meditate and be mindful. And within two weeks, Letitia, his, he found his behavior had changed. And then within two months, eight weeks, he went back into the lab. They looked at his brain again. And they found that parts of his brain had grown by two to four percent in just eight weeks. Wow! Imagine if you were working out at the gym and your body was growing at four percent in eight weeks. I mean, your muscles were growing that fast. That would be awesome. But one part of his brain grew even faster, and that was the part of the brain that is responsible for regulating emotion regulating fear, regulating anger, regulating resentment, regulating blame, shame, guilt, negative thinking, that part of his, of his brain grew more than 20% in only eight weeks. So we can go on a month-long practice and we can start to do these activities like meditation, breathing. I have 30 of them in my book, Mind to Matter, that you, you can do. They all start to trigger 
gene change. They start to trigger neurological change. And you're growing the emotional regulation circuit in your brain potentially by 10% a month. That means you have far more material. You have far more bulk in your brain. You have far more neural circuits available to control negative emotions. And you get way happier when you control all of that negative emotion, negative thinking. So yeah, you can learn, train, retrain yourself to do this really fast. Wow, this is exciting. No no wonder why you have this aura about you where it's all, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, I do believe that people that are in that mindset that, that are, you know, they just have an aura that have an energy and people that say, I cannot touch it. But and then people want to be around you and people want to gravitate towards you. And I think it's all part of the same ecosystem, let's call it, like you see someone negative and you feel drained after you've had a conversation. Yes. They, they, right. I, I feel that, like I feel I want to help them, I want to support them and I'm there. But then after, after I'm done, I'm like, oh my God, I feel like, like depleted from my energy. Yes. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's, again, your brain is having to deal with their negative emotion. And then you have your energy fields interacting like that. And then you have what's called emotional contagion where you you reinforce the energy But if you surround yourself with positive, loving, kind, wise, generous, grateful, happy people, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, and, uh, and, and it's funny because when I was researching on you, they say, this is, <laughs> this is Dawson's contagious laugh. And I got curious and I say, wow, he, he does have a fantastic laugh. And I say, I hope I get to hear it today. So I'm, <laughs> I'm loving it. <laughs> so oh, yeah. I also was very obviously interested and, and inspired by the work that uh, you with the Veteran Stress Project. And I think this is something that's, you know, important that we highlight because you you've with this treatment, there's over 20,000 veterans that have PTSD that have benefited from it. And I think that's something that's, you know, in, in these times where the world is so volatile, I, I'm always surprised how little support the people that go defend us, you know, get when they get back. So I'm definitely curious to hear more about that. Yeah, we started the Veteran Stress Project in 2007 because the official U.S. treatment system, the Veterans Administration, has said we could not use energy therapies in their hospitals. And our, our path into doing it was blocked then. So we began this private organization to do that. And we began to treat veterans. And we've now treated over 20,000 veterans over the last more than 10 years. And then eventually in 2017, the Veterans Administration did say we can now do it officially in the system. So it's just great to do that. You, you watch a veteran, like I remember working with one veteran, and he, he remembered this terrible day when he had to, he, he'd been in Iraq. And this is his very first deployment in Iraq. He had four tours of duty in Iraq. But one of his friends had been killed, and he had the job as a medic of getting together all of his friends' personal effects to ship back to his, his family in, in the U.S., including his friend's uniform. And so this friend had been shot there. The uniform was full of body fluids and blood. He had to clean the uniform, and the smell was so bad, he said, I would walk into the hut where the uniform was, and the cleaning solution was, And I would, it smells so bad, I would dip it in the cleaning solution and I'd have to run outside and breathe deeply to get some fresh air and run back in because the smell was so bad in, in the hut. So I worked with him, I was using EFT, which is just tapping on acupuncture meridian endpoints like this. We were tapping as he talked. We did some advanced energy therapy techniques. And in about a half hour session, his degree of triggering 
went down from a 10 out of 10 in terms of emotion down to a zero out of 10. So when you work with people like that, Letitia, and you see them change, and in my books, I have many case histories of doctors and nurses and veterans and teachers and, and, and artists, all kinds of people, athletes, and they just are able to drop all of that burden of suffering. And then what's so exciting is that when all of that trauma is gone, their personal well-being just shoots up and their potential gets expressed. So now that athlete's running faster if she's a runner, that golfer is having a much better stroke if that's what his sport is, that veteran who is so weighed down by PTSD is now happy and joyful and their family is benefiting as well. So it's just great to do this work. And I, I just wildly enthusiastic every day when I start work because I know that this is just the, the, the this is just a high to do this with people. Uh, that's that's great. You know, I, I think you embody everything that I'm trying to do personally and uh my audience has heard this, but even with the podcast, I'm in telecommunications. So I'm very, for 25 years, done something very different. But, uh, you know, with the podcast, what I want is connect with people and inspire people and, and, you know, to find those angles of your life where you can do more. Yes. And to me, that's why when I read about you, you be, you're so inspiring because obviously you have a PhD. You have, I mean, your career could, could be very different. Yet you managed to be a, a bestseller author. You're doing clinical research. It's almost like you have the secret, secret recipe to in include all the things that are important to you. And on your webpage, which of course I'll share, um, you even have, you know, other things you're interested in. And you mentioned friends and family and other things that people is like, why would you put that on your webpage? <laughs> right. And I did the same with my webpage. I put all the aspects of me, not only the business aspect or the podcasting. And I think there's something to be said about that's how we maybe become more fulfilled when we really encompass all those things. What, what's your thought on that? Yeah. Friends and family. Like I have grandchildren. I love spending time with the grandkids. I make time every day. I like we, we, my wife and I take care of one of the grandkids a couple of days a week. And so it's important to nurture yourself that way. And like yesterday, I went away for just a one-day retreat, and I meditated in the evening. I read some inspiring books. I then meditated in the morning. I walked on the beach and then came back to my office for my first appointment of the day around 9 o'clock. And just self-care and nurturing yourself that way is powerful. And I also advocate in my books, I recommend you take longer retreats, like a week, two weeks. Go out in nature, immerse yourself in that feeling of well-being, ground yourself, walk barefoot on the earth, do grounding. In my book, Mind to Matter, I have 30 different evidence-based techniques that will literally shift gene expression. Grounding is one, qigong is another, EFT tapping will do that, meditation will do that. So there are all these ways of nurturing and self-care. So sure, you want to have a fulfilling career, do meaningful work in the world, but you also really want to focus on your own well-being. Are you laughing? You know, Babies laugh on average 120 times a day. Adults on average laugh six times a day. That's a 95% reduction in laughter. And I think, why? No one said you can't laugh 120 times a day like you did when you were two years old. Just go ahead and just start doing that. Just do all these things to nurture your own precious self. It all starts there. It starts with self-talk. What are you saying about yourself? Are you saying, Letitia? I love you. Dawson, I love you. Christine, I love you. Maya, I love you. Are you saying I love you to yourself and others in your heart, in your thoughts? Are you loving toward yourself? Are you kind? 
toward yourself. None of us are perfect. None of us have perfect lives. I mean, in my book, Bliss Brain, I, chapter one, it's, the book is about cha- the changes in our brains that happen during meditation and how you can, you can catalyze those, those changes. But in chapter one, I talk about my house burned down three years ago. We were in the middle of a, of a wildfire, and in five minutes, we lost everything we own. Oh, wow. So wow. it's not like you know we have perfect lives. I mean, we have stuff going on that isn't, isn't easy to deal with, and yet we are, you're, you're resilient because you've built that tissue in your brain to do with handling stress. So now you're strong when it, when the pandemic comes, when the economic stress comes, when various kinds of political upheavals are, are happening in the world. You are a resilient human being because you built that neural tissue inside your head. You've changed your brain, and then your whole life is just a whole lot easier. And you do start to laugh a hundred times a day or more. So that's a good good aspiration. Love, self care, laughter, kindness in your thoughts toward your precious self. Wow, that's powerful. And I think, and I'm so happy you mentioned that because I, my feeling is when people see others like yourself, they think that life is perfect. I, I have the same thing happen to me. You know, my, my country, I'm from Venezuela. You know, my country has lived the worst political situation in the past 20 years that anybody can imagine that has affected every aspect of my life. And yet people many times say, oh, I want your life, you know, and, and I have a great life. I'm not going to complain, but there's so many aspects that they think are way easier than what they are. And I think that's usually the saboteur in ourselves that says, oh, that person has it easy. So one of the reasons why I did this podcast is to try to help the audience reconnect to that spark that is going to trigger them to hopefully go buy your books and, and see, okay, this is what I can do. This is how, how do we convince or how do we inspire those that are listening to this? And I say, everything sounds so easy. Meditation, I don't have time for that. Laughing, I have so many problems that no way. You know, like how do we convince those people to like just take one small step and, and get closer to that life? Yeah, and it is a matter of taking one small step. What can you do? So in Mind to Matter, I have 30 things. And I give you 30 things, not so you'll do all 30 things, but so you'll do one. So maybe it isn't realistic for you to spend an hour in meditation, but you definitely can spend half an hour in meditation. Everybody has, has a half hour that they can do. And research done by a researcher called Teresa Amabile at Harvard University showed if you enter these flow states, you get to a meditation, these advanced flow states, and spend an hour there, you are able to extend that brain functioning for 24 hours to 48 hours from that point. So you get one or two days enhanced abilities, enhanced mental abilities, but one hour meditation is your highest leverage point of the entire day. And so research I cover in my book, This Brain, shows that your ability to solve complex problems, this is a study done by the Defense Research Agency in the US, the ability of people to solve complicated, very difficult problems rises by 500%, fivefold. If you're in that kind of a flow state, your creativity more than doubles and your productivity can rise also up to 500%. How do I do everything I do and also take a week off every month and meditate and go on a retreat and, and still manage to do all this? Is that that's the first thing I do. There's a fundamental thing is enter those highly productive states. And you're just inspired then. And also you're super happy. The research, same research shows that, that people who do this 
their level of this brainwave called gamma, it's the brainwave of pro-social emotions, it's the wave of compassion, joy, gratitude, love, their levels of gamma in their brains go up sevenfold, 700%. So you are just getting a 25% increase in happiness or 50% increase in productivity in your, in your job, 500% increases or more in some of those characteristics. And so you're, suddenly you're highly productive, your life's full of love, you're full of happiness. You desperately need that hour of meditation every morning. It's the, th- it's the start of everything good. Wow. Well, I'm a bit, I, that's one of the things that COVID gifted me with because I've, I had always started like a meditation practice and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Catholic, so I pray consistently, but it, praying and, and meditation are different a little bit for me anyway. And with COVID, I kind of fit it in and it's at least 15 minutes every morning. And I found finally the moment in the time of the day where I can commit to it, because I think that's very important. Like you're consistent and also realistic. Okay, I cannot do 15, I do five, but I do it every day, no matter what. And Really, I have seen in myself an incredible benefits just by sticking to it. Yes, and that that key is consistency, doing it every single day. Because what you're doing is you're changing the biochemical balance in your brain. In my book, Bliss Brain, I have a whole chapter on the neurochemistry of these ecstatic states. You can get into these flow states you're in in meditation. And you start to produce more serotonin, more dopamine, more oxytocin, more beta-endorphin. And these are these are the seven most pleasurable neurochemicals known to human beings. And so you're now producing elevated rises in these neurochemicals. Dopamine is the the neurotransmitter that people who are heroin and cocaine addicts crave, the craving that rise in dopamine. And they actually are not craving heroin or cocaine. What they're craving is the dopamine. And research shows that your dopamine in your brain can rise by 65% when you meditate. So meditate in the way that I show you how to do it in this brain, and you're having this big increase in dopamine. You're also having a big increase in serotonin. And serotonin is the same molecular structure as psilocybin, magic mushrooms. Now you have all of these serotonin molecules docking with those receptor sites, just like taking a, me- a microdose of psilocybin, you have a rise in serotonin in your brain. You have a rise in oxytocin. If you're Catholic and you think of Mother Mary or think of a saint, favorite saint, I can tell just if you think about them and feel the energy of Mother Mary, you're going to have a rise in oxytocin, another performance-enhancing chemical, which unlocks others like anandamide, which is called the bliss molecule. It also unlocks nitric oxide, which makes you alert. All of these things happening, and you're doing that in the first hour of the day, the day and you habituate your brain and body to that cocktail of pleasure neurochemicals by doing it every morning for only 50 minutes, that's enough. And now you have this whole cascade of things happening in your whole day. So that first 15 or 30 minutes of meditation in the morning is literally framing your whole subsequent day, producing higher productivity, creativity, and problem-solving ability. So it's, it's, it's just, you do that first thing in the morning, have that habit, do it, do it, do it every day. You're literally getting yourself addicted to dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, all these pleasure neurochemicals. And at that point, it becomes really hard, Letitia, to have a bad day. 
I love it. You are going to be my go-to episode of, you know, when I have any non-believer in meditation, so you're going to listen <laughs> to Dr. Church episode. This is great, great stuff. I definitely will check your book out. I think it's going to be a reference point because, again, it's the all the naysayers. You go, go to page 24 and look at this research, and I think definitely not, we haven't paid too much attention, or maybe if we have, the word hasn't spread out enough. And so I'm so happy and, and blessed and honored that there's people like you putting that word out, doing word. I mean, I, you are making the world a better place. That's that's for sure. And I always want to give, you know, my guests the opportunity besides the, the, all the books you've written and your, you know, all the philanthropy. Is there anything else that's exciting you these days? Anything that you want to share with the audience? Well, at the end of this frame, my most recent book, I talk about the trajectory of human evolution that we're in right now. And it's very easy. Like I look at the news every every day or two, and there are on Google News, there are around 80 stories every every day that they just circulate through. And so I look at that Google News site, and every day there are different you know, 80 stories, and they're, they're almost all ways about the bad stuff. But there is so much good stuff coming happening. And so in the last chapter of this brain, I have the antidote to the news. And I, I show that I've studied there showing that the news is disproportionately about the negative stuff. It focuses on, on negative stuff. Just one example. In 2020, the New York Times did an analysis on COVID reporting. And so COVID, of course, you know, began to, cases began to rise, deaths began to rise, hospitalizations began to rise. But there was a peak to the pandemic, after which deaths and hospitalizations began to fall. So while COVID was rising, the reporting was all about rising cases. When it began to fall, the media coverage switched to the specific locations, cities, in which COVID deaths were still rising, because it was still rising in some places. And the New York Times did an extensive survey on this. They found that the news media just does that. So if you get your news from the media, you're seeing a completely distorted picture of the world. Large-scale studies show that there are far more good things happening which are not reported than bad things that are. So in chapter eight of Bliss Brain, I really cover the positive trends. Look at female literacy. Women who are getting taught to read worldwide has exploded in the last 40 years. Human health, we have double the lifespans of our ancestors, of our great-grandparents, at 100 years ago. I mean, human lifespan has been pretty constant for, for a long, long time, thousands of years. Suddenly, it's doubled in a century. IQ, IQ is rising by an average of two points every 10 years worldwide. Human rights abuses, now there are some terrible ones still happening, but if you look at the period since World War II, on average, human rights have been improving. Global war has been winding down over over the last few centuries. Even despite World War I and World War II in, in, in the 20th century, it actually was more peaceful. Fewer people proportionally died in the 20th century of either being combatants or civilians killed in war. Despite World War I and World War II, it was more peaceful than the 19th century. More people died in the 19th century than in the 20th century. And more people died in the 18th than in the 19th century. So the trend for hundreds of years has been actually diminished global violence. So I, I take a look at some of the big hopeful indicators there, and there are so many of them. There are hundreds of studies showing this. And so I, I really try and give you a perspective on 
we're changing internally. We're changing our story. We're changing who we are as people. And the effect is changing our brains. And that effect is extending out into the world around us to produce a happier, more peaceful, more loving, more compassionate world. And that's the long-term trend. So that's what I'm really excited about now. I'm going to be writing a new book soon about, about that. And I'm just excited by, by where I see us going as a species. And if we as human beings are more decent, we're kinder, if we're more compassionate, if we're more loving, then we are much better for the planet. We're not a plague on the planet. We can actually help the, the planet a lot yeah. by, by doing that. So the planet is going to be better off as we produce inner peace inside our own experience. Wow, that's uh, that's powerful. Thank you so much for that. And, uh, you know, I... Uh, there, I, I feel I could talk to, to you uh, for, for hours, but uh, I know time is of essence, so I'll, I'll close with this. And uh, you mentioned meditation. One of the purposes also of the podcast is help us uh, identify what makes us stick, reconnect with what makes us stick. Like I talk to people and I say, well, I used to love this and no, I didn't do it anymore. And then during COVID, they maybe rediscover something that they say, oh, yeah, this is what I'm about. I'm, I'm curious, what, what other things make you tick besides the ones you, you mentioned in, the, in this episode? Which are, which are the practices you mean? Uh, things that make you tick, like either talking to people, going to a special place, doing something in particular that you say, yeah, this is, this is part of my essence. I think that what I'm really focused on right now is the world's ancient spiritual traditions and the ability of human beings to connect with non-local mind. So in chapter one and chapter seven of my book, Mind to Matter, they're all about non-local mind. And we have local minds. And so I have a local mind, a local brain, a local body, local emotions, and we are infinitely more than our local selves. So what I do every day is I let go of my local self in the morning meditation, and I focus on just tuning in to non-local reality. And there's, there's this non-local reality, which is the wisdom of the universe. The fabric of the universe is intelligence, is consciousness. And so when you let go of local obsession with your local self and local circumstances, and you tune into non-local awareness, for one thing, you are, you're, you are able to access information and wisdom far beyond what you can do when you're at the level of your local self. And like Napoleon Hill talks about this in his book, Think and Grow Rich. He talks about in chapter 15, it's all about how he, when he's faced with a difficult problem in his local circumstances, he takes it into what he calls his invisible council, this, this communing with all these elevated beings from centuries gone by. And he finds his answers in that non-local information field. And so I just do that every day. And I find that when I do that, that non-local information field flows in and you just get ideas and wisdom and you get love. You, you just are, are you're, you're, you're inspired and you're aware that we are part of something far greater than ourselves. We're, we're, great, we're part of this great field of consciousness that's moving the stars and the sun and the universe. So you want to be live your life as part of that. And suddenly you're not just this little limited human being trying to make a go of of a lifetime here with this, this limited body and this limited mind and the, this, these emotions and this money and this love, suddenly you are one with non-local, the infinite universe, and you live your life that way. And the life you live that way is so much greater than any life you can live if you're constrained by local reality. 
that it totally changes you. And so that's what makes me tick. I just tune into non-local every day. I, I, I tune into that, that information field of the cosmos, of the universe, full of love, full of compassion, full of insight. And then I go to work and do my best to translate that into local reality, social action, science, and everything to do with this local this local, um, this local reality field that we have. So that, that's what you really want to do in the meditation. Regulate yourself, regulate your emotions, then tune into non-local and just drift out there in the cosmos for a while and universal consciousness, then come back. And then you do all kinds of exciting things when oh, you're back I in love mind. It. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love it. I love it. And if we put the video, we'll see. But he did a little dance that I, I absolutely love it. That, well, this has been fantastic, Dawson. I think you have so much wisdom. You have so much knowledge that I really have seen very few people, even on the spiritual teachers, which I follow many of them, that have the ability to really marry the mystical with science, I think that's really probably the gateway to to creating more awareness because I really think that the ones, the people that don't need the facts are probably on track and are moving towards there. But the people that need the facts, that's where your work is going to, I think, make the difference. Yes. Yeah. It really helps to know the science and what, what works. Science tells you what works. And that's the most efficient thing to do is to figure out what works, and then you do what works, and science tells you exactly, for example, how to meditate. There are same things you can do that are research-proven, and, and you do those things in meditation, they really work. A lot of what people do is ineffective. You want to use science and figure out what is effective. You go ahead and do that. Well, thank you so much. I will definitely put all the information. I'm sure there's people going to check out those books, and uh, I thank you so much for your time. And uh, thank you all for listening and tuning in. You've been listening to Back to Basics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't yet, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming platforms. This is the best gift you can give us. Join me next week for another Back to Basics conversation. And if you want to find out about other exciting things I'm working on, visit LeticiaLatino.com. Thank you and until the next time.